we might be going live or round about now. So, Danny, how now then? Welcome, welcome to the podcast on a brand new platform. Yeah, thank you. It's good. I'm the I'm the guinea pig. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, it seems that way. It all seems to be working though. So, uh, Kane Sims is live right now on LinkedIn. Apparently, I've just got a notification coming through. So it's uh, it's live and kicking. Pleasure for you. Nice for you to join us, and pleasure to have you. Um, before we do get into the conversation, a quick mention for those of you that are tuning in: that uh, in October, VUX World will be running its first live event uh, conference at the Voice Summit in uh, Arlington, uh, Virginia, right next to Washington. It'll be on the the conference is on the 10th of October through the through to the 13th. And our event will be on the 11th. It's sponsored and brought to you by Core AI, one of the leading enterprise conversational AI platforms. And we'll be bringing all kinds of industry thought leaders uh, and practitioners and clients, enterprises, basically who are using conversational AI in the enterprise to improve customer experience. We're going to be talking about the end-to-end story of contact center automation. So there'll be a lot more coming out about that. In the show notes, I will include the link to the agenda so you can go have a look at the tickets. I would include it in here, Danny, but as I was just explaining, um, this is the first time I've used this platform and how to get links into the other end is not something I've figured out yet. But uh, the event will be a great success, I'm sure. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, But... Uh, without further ado, though, let's let's get into into this conversation. Danny over there in uh, in Texas, looking very educated with the uh, obligatory bookshelf behind you there. <laughs> uh, so, why don't you tell, kick off by telling us maybe a little bit about uh, about yourself, about yourself and about uh, about Unique? Yeah, great. Uh, so, look, you know, Unique is a digital human company, and for those that may not be familiar with the term digital humans, you'll certainly be familiar with digital humans because really they are the uh, CGI characters that you would have uh, had plenty of exposure to through movies and film, uh, gaming. Uh, but the digital humans that we're really focused around uh, for our business is uh, AI-powered digital humans. This is digital humans that are avatars that have autonomous animation and can connect into conversational AI or natural language understanding to really drive you know, dynamic and interactive experiences. And we particularly focus on the enterprise market because we saw that there is a number of really challenging problems in the enterprise market uh, that is all about taking something that's quite complex and using digital humans, you can make it more human and simplify it and therefore creating better outcomes. Things like helping people through, say, uh, mortgage applications, through to taking medication correctly, through to many, many other areas, uh, you know, e-commerce and other things. So, yeah, this is what we do. It's such a such an awesome privilege to work with this kind of technology because we're at the forefront of learning so much, not just about the technology, but actually how we as humans uh, interact with machines in different ways. Uh, and I really enjoy mm. that. Mm, nice. I mean, for for those who've tuned into the, the podcast, the, obviously we tend to mention digital humans here and there, but it's always in a in as part of something else, like you know, as one of those things that is is coming up, you know. But maybe it's it's not as prevalent as you might think. It's not as prevalent as a chatbot, for example. One of those things that is is definitely emerging. But when most people think of digital humans, I think it gets crowded or overshadowed by a lot of the talk of the kind of like gaming and metaverse kind of marketing kind of use cases and things like that is something that's becoming very hyped at the moment. Whereas you're focusing specifically on enterprises, which is where I actually think is like the main value of these things, you know, uh, to be really helpful to add a different layer of, of experience on top of your channels, wherever that might be. But I'm wondering whether you can kind of maybe shed a, shed a light on why if you're going to build a digital human-based company, why focus on the enterprise and not the the metaverse, for want of a better word, or, or the shiny marketing kind of uh, situations as, as we see quite a lot of? Yeah, the, the unrealized market of enterprise uh, has been very attractive, you know, as we worked out, you know, that there were real problems that we could solve well. I think, you know, metaverse in particular is just going to become something that enterprise will also benefit from and and utilize, uh, and digital humans will be a key part of how they scale 
customer interaction uh, in there. So I think, um, you know, and gaming is very relevant to this technology has been and, and will continue to be for some time. And there will be some interesting convergence, I think, with the metaverse and how we design experiences that create utility and interest for users, uh, but also solve problems and become safe places where people might want to also interact with the enterprise brands as well. Um, retail probably has the first leap on that, but you know, you could see that would extend into healthcare and other areas in future. Um, mm -hmm. I think digital humans, one of the things that I think is quite important to understand, particularly in the enterprise space is that, as you kind of said, like there's the chatbot, the focus around conversational AI, that's not foreign to enterprise. And, and in fact, you know, there are plenty of use cases where I would say uh, digital humans would not actually be beneficial to solving the problem uh, where you already have conversational AI or a chatbot experience. I often talk about it in language like transactions and interactions. So when, when a transaction use cases uh, exist, they tend to focus around um, very quick one-off type requirements. So if I was to even go, what's my bank balance or things like that, where I'm trying to have obviously a conversational interface to simplify the process, uh, do a transfer, things like that, using this uh, financial services as, as the example here. Um, you know, there's no real need to have a digital human in that. You know, like we've tested this uh, plenty of times and, you know, in, in contrast, an interaction tends to be where someone has a series of questions or there's a customer journey where the goal isn't always efficiency, even though that's always important. The goal often is uh, confidence, trust, trust that you can do something yourself through self-service channels, confidence that you understand what you need to know to make a good decision as well. And that could be anything from buying a new product. You know, we work with clients like Deutsche Telekom and helping people, you know, um, decide on what is the right plan, how many Wi-Fi access points do you need in your house, all those kind of things. So you're on a customer journey to solve an ultimate problem of having the right internet connection, the right right performance in, in your house. And so for some people that's really easy and for others that's that's a big scary technical problem to solve and having that more human conversational contact point and digital humans being visual can really elevate the uh, the experience. And so that's that's where I really see enterprise thriving now is that um, you know a lot of customers are starting to understand that better. And I think the technology is at a point where even conversational AI and natural language is is getting to a point now where you can design conversation to be more interactive and not just transactional. Mm. And the um the so I've lost my train of thought there. You were talking there oh so yeah yeah the, the enterprise. So where would be an example? I've got so many questions coming down. That's why I've been spending a bit of time writing some notes because as you were talking there, I had so many questions coming to my mind. Um, <laughs> so when, so where where would somebody see a digital human? So for example, we had we had Robert Cunningham from LNER, uh, London Northeast Railway, uh, on the podcast a few weeks back, and he was talking about a proof of concept that they did in Newcastle train station where they had a digital human. Uh, it wasn't like a super realistic one like Unique do, like you do, uh, but it was more like a cartoon-style avatar. And it was there for like wayfinding in the train station and, and stuff like that and general help around the station, train timetables, that kind of stuff. They found that it went really well. Um, I'll come on to maybe some of the challenges that they had. I'd love to get your thoughts on on that shortly. But right. that's one example of where you might see a digital human, for, for argument's sake, is in a physical location or retail environment, something like that. Where are some of the examples of where either Deutsche Telekom or some of your customers have been deploying these? Like, where would a customer interact with one of these things? For our customers, there are probably two or three key channels. Uh, physical location is really good because it's hard for self-service and automation to exist in a, in a physical environment without it being highly visual and really simple to interact with. Um, so a digital human is a great fit for that because it now creates this 
a visual representation of uh, conversational AI, um, which is great. The other areas you see now, even with COVID as well, changing a lot of our behaviors and, and how we interact with brands and companies. So you'll a lot of our, um, our channels now are focused around websites online. So it's, you know, e-commerce sites or, uh, you know, online shopping, or sometimes these are just customer websites that are helping people on board, complete forms, all these types of experience that are, that are online. And that, that obviously transitions both between, you know, desktops, laptops, and mobile devices. And then the third channel, which is more new and emerging, but this is where, you know, more immersive channels. So this is your VR, AR, type experiences and this is again with the focus around metaverse and where this is heading this is really trying to um, use more creative power to enhance the experience and to leverage the fact that it doesn't have to be 2d so can we have better representation of products and then a digital human so i'll give you an example i can't name the brand but there is a automotive company we're working with and you can actually see the car learn about the car and you've also got a digital human answering questions about the car in a whole virtual showroom so some pretty cool things like wow. that wow that's wicked and it's uh it's as it as it, i am sophie is that the was it meet sophie or i am sophie the one you you were working on recently yeah so we did a uh, we partnered with an agency to uh, launch the first kind of digital human-focused NFT project. So IamSophie.io is, uh, is a digital human uh, with a full natural language interaction built into her. So you can actually uh, have a conversation, learn about her, learn about her NFT project. Um, what's really cool is we're plugging her into also some really smart technology uh, using AI to generate art based around obviously a description that NFT holders can give her and she'll generate the art and then that will also be um, released as a as a future NFT as well. So it's good mm -hmm. good for our company to you know learn a lot through this process as well. We wanted to obviously understand the process ourselves because a lot of customers were asking us like what should they be doing around the NFT strategy and what does this look like? Um, so we put ourselves out first to, to really understand that and it's it has taught us a lot and um yeah and now we're able to you know help customers through you know the lessons that we learned through that process mm. and one of the things that not necessarily related to nfts but i'm showing this i'm showing the screen now for those of you that are listening on the podcast you won't be able to see this but sophie as a digital human is like super realistic you know i mean you can tell when you look closely enough you could probably tell that it's computer generated but just glancing at it you know if this was a small screen and you just flick through it or if you were not you know really staring at it it is really incredible how kind of like high quality it is and so i'm wondering about sort of like you know i mentioned the lnar example there was kind of um it was like more of a cartoon style avatar. And I know Amelia, popular conversation on the AI platform, they've had this kind of like cartoon style kind of avatar. Not cartoon, but it's very clearly animated. Whereas Sophie, Sophie and I'm sure a bunch of others that you have um, and you know other companies like Sapient X, I'm sure you're aware of, like a couple of companies like Unique have got to a point now where these digital avatars are just so realistic. It's unbelievable. I'm wondering whether you can talk about like maybe it, whether it's the technology advancements, like what is what is it that enables you to create something that is so human-like? Yeah, the the technology really has advanced quite a lot because of the companies like Unity or Epic Games, um, so AAA game platforms that are focused around obviously the rendering platforms that um, that typically game companies have used, but now you know can be extended into a range of other areas as, as we've taken advantage. We, we've partnered with Epic Games, so we use the Unreal Engine. Um, you know, for a long time, because we've been doing this a little longer than others, you know, we had to develop a lot of our own proprietary shaders and textures and other things that really enhance the look uh, with the lighting and things like that. That's become a lot, the barriers to entry around that have become a lot easier. 
uh, with, with later versions. So that's the first part of it, though. That's really just in the modeling. So the textures, lighting, shaders, um, and having really good quality artists that know how to build out, you know, uh, hyper real or very real uh, digital humans and, and how that works. And that's, that's a known art. We've been doing this for many years and gaming and film studios in particular are very good at this. And, um, and so the second part to that though is much more complex, uh, which is actually how it animates and how um, you, you effectively create autonomous behavior and personality. So the second part is where pretty much most companies fall short. Um, and this is a problem that really requires um, a heavy degree of science and art <laughs> combined to really design AI models and to build an architecture that the digital human can speak naturally, can respond contextually to what's happening, you can see me even moving quite a bit when I speak, which is very normal. You're nodding when you're listening. There's all these kind of dynamics that when you break this down, it becomes, you know, millions and millions of variances in how a conversation can flow and then how you emotionally respond appropriately uh, and how you express emotion. I'm really sorry, but we can't approve that loan right now. Or uh, congratulations, you've been approved. Eyebrows go up. All these different things that take place. And you don't want to build in you know considerable amount of overhead and the natural language um you know design so that you're having to tell the character how to move how to be how to respond and become insanely hard and really complicated to, as an operating model in future as you're making changes what you really need is the ai to understand that if the natural language um you know processes that it's understood the intent and here's the response, then the animation systems really need to be able to understand the context and speak that in an appropriate way. Uh, and that's really the technology that we've focused on for a number of years, knowing that this is going to be the game changer and how people experience digital humans in a more natural and realistic way. Funnily enough, we've plugged this into uh, non-hyper-real characters as well. So we've got, had animal characters, we've had, you know, we've put it into Disney characters. There's all sorts of things that our animation system can drive because it's so contextual in how you behave, how you move uh, with that. But those two combinations are really how this level of quality and this experience is now in a place where I think it's moved beyond Uncanny Valley into mm. more natural interactive experiences that most people, not everyone, but most people are experiencing in a positive way. Mm, interesting. Um, <clears throat> that is very interesting because I always thought that, um, so I'm going to make a note of that because I'm going to come back to that. Not everyone experiences a positive way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting that because I always thought that this would be something um, that, most people would just love but anyway we'll come back to that um the interesting part is that whenever i've interviewed people who have are creating something that is natural language based but the result is not just a conversation like alexa for example is, is purely conversation based a chatbot a voice assistant voice bot in the call center all purely conversation based as soon as you put a, a, a physical thing there whether it's an avatar a digital human maybe it's a robot like a house robot you've got that other stuff to deal with, which which you've just mentioned, the animation side of things. You know, we had uh, Stefan Scherer on just before Christmas and he was f from uh, Moxie. And Moxie, the little robot, is fantastic, you know, it, it, but when you design for it, they have to think about every single animation that that robot does. So if, if, if a kid says something to the robot and the robot's surprised, it has to do that kind of like eyebrow raise and stuff. So hearing you talk there, am I correct in understanding that all of that animation stuff is all just part of what already exists and if you were to build a conversation on sophie for example as we've just seen that sophie can understand the natural the, the, the what she's saying basically based on understanding of natural language and therefore animations take care of themselves correct so sophie a uh, little bit of insight is plugged into gpt3 so if anyone goes to that i am sophie.io site you can talk to her and we're using a combination of, uh, I think we're using IBM Watson combined with GPT-3 and a few other things that we're plugging into API services. So she knows all sorts of other 
information but um but gpt3 like there's no way you can really mark that up you could do a sentiment analysis on the fly and try to do something clever but it's dynamic the responses are dynamic every time but you'll see that her motion's changing the way she speaks it and expresses it is really really good um so she'll have a cheekiness and so we have what you call like a personality kind of waiting that takes place through that animation system so there's a personality behind uh, who she is and how she acts. And if you know anything about GPT-3, you can also design the personality in the way that you're building the model uh, and training the data around the model. So the combination of the two work really, really well. Mm, interesting. So the personality side of things, it's a very hotly sort of debated topic in the conversational AI kind of space. I think everyone kind of agrees that you need to have some some degree of personality but others differ on what it should be in terms of like what do you need to actually capture like some models will just do you know base it around the goals of the user base it around the tone of the conversation others will go more into like this is mark he's 28 years old from uh you know south california and it's like his dad's a doctor and his uh, mum's a vet and like so for this, though, it is definitely different because you have a physical body, you have a physical person, you have to create something to look at, and people's personality, whether it's just a human brain that makes this up, but people's personality is often linked, I think, to how they look in some way, shape, or form. Mm. If you look at Tommy, uh, you know, Tommy Cooper, I don't know if everyone knows about Tommy Cooper, old British stand-up comedian, always wears a red fez. He's about six foot five, he's massive, and he just looks daft. You know, and his personality is exactly like that when he's on stage. He's just, his looks fit his personality perfectly. And whether that's just us making up that story because we're humans and we like to find patterns and stuff like that or not. But I do think that people's personality is linked to how they look. So I wonder if you can talk us through some of the considerations that you have when you're creating a, a digital human from scratch for a client. How do you go about the personality design and how does that link into how it looks if it does at all? I think one of the things that we misunderstood at the beginning was that uh, we would design based on the user in mind and the customers would go through a, a whole process of you know what does the look need to look like and who's the who's the target audience and how do they appeal to the target audience and all these different processes so we fo focus so much around the I guess the external look of the digital human and then as we observed how people interact with digital humans, we quickly learned that they're trying to actually know more about the digital human. The, the personality became even more key. So the tone of voice, how they answered questions and responded all the way through to people wanted to just know general chit chat. Not everyone does. So you've always got to think about the fact that you've got still a very broad range of user interaction, but there was a very high percentage of people just trying to get to know more about the digital you. Well, what do you like doing? You know, like all these kind of interesting questions that we sometimes probably catch ourselves doing if we're talking to someone else, uh, even a customer service rep and like, how's your day? We might just like throw in that. And, um, mm. and it's very fascinating actually even the demographic splits uh, and even older demographics are actually very relational so they they will ask more conversational questions and be more re relational in that i think that tends to be a demographic that prefers conversation sometimes over some of this digital clicks and self-service tools and you know, a lot of feedback is websites keep changing i learned it one way now they've changed it again whereas if we can just talk it just helps, right? I'm sure you've heard that before as well. And the digital human, I think, is just that amplifies the more human characteristics of how we respond. So then, yes, personality becomes really key. I think personality design is something that, you know, we in, in marketing, as an example, you often are thinking about your end user personas. And so you create these personas thinking about, you know, what are, the, what are the typical personas that we're going to encounter on this customer journey and how are we going to design for that? I think it's really a counter persona. So you're thinking about it in the same way, what, what are the personas that really matter? Uh, and we think about the design and, you know, are they going to be highly empathetic? You know, it could be a healthcare uh, coach. 
a wellness coach. And so, you know, a little bit of humor is probably good. Um, but, you know, really being hypersensitive to where empathy will play a key role. Really sorry going through that right now. You know, that is tough. You know, so those are the types of things that we want high levels of empathy coming through in the language and the expression. And so we build that into the, into the personality. Mm, interesting. And is that the first, like, is that the, one of the first things you would do? Like, I wonder if you can walk us through what a typical project, I mean, first of all, I'm assuming that you, like Unique, do a lot of the hands-on of the designing and implementation of these digital humans. Whereas with enterprise conversation, AI, it's a mixed bag. Some companies just do it themselves, fire up Dialogflow or Watson and crack on. Whereas you're dealing with very particular technology, uh, very kind of like, I'm assuming that the, your NLU technologies and NLP technologies need to integrate somehow with what you're doing. So I'm making the assumption that you do, Unique does the design and build and implementation. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it's not so much always around the NLU though, because a lot of enterprise clients, as you said, already have teams and work on their own NLU. So what we right. try to do is, is obviously complement what is already there. Often what exists uh, in most customers and NLU, we like to call it a skill set. So it, it often doesn't have personality in the NLU and it often isn't, isn't designed in a way that feels more human to interact with. So we spend a lot of time with our clients actually thinking about the use case with a more human feeling interaction. So where do we bring personality? Where do we bring more empathy? You know, we don't have to talk like a robot we're actually creating a more human experience here. And so, you know, and to be fair, when you're building chatbots or other channels, you actually don't need, need to do that as much as when you're creating a digital human. But when you do do it this way, like we outperform on all metrics by a long, long way. Mm -hmm. Like conversion, you know, is nearly 2x on just conversion alone for working with customers like say an, an e-commerce or product recommendation things like that so it's very very good when you get it right um, so the process for us through the design um, look most of the time uh, you know we're focused around sales marketing um, areas and the reason we do that is because we find that Introducing a digital human, uh, going back to your, where you're going to ask this question, why does not everyone like a digital human? Well, some, some parts of it is just polarizing. It's something new and not everyone likes new things, right? It's like, well, this is different. So you are going to get a percentage of people that just feel a little bit uncomfortable. Interesting enough, those who continue to use it um, become very comfortable and then it becomes actually a more preferred channel of, of experience but you do have something that is polarizing with digital humans right now because it's not around us every day um, but the other thing I think um, with the design process with the digital human is um, is really just thinking about you know the way that um, when we create the experiences what is what is really the you know, when, when we go into any design, like what is the mindset of a user when they're coming in here? Because if it is customer service and my phone has been cut off, my bill is wrong for the last three months, you know, ta-da, here's a digital human to make you feel better. Because <laughs> like, I'm going to punch this thing in the face if it gets one <laughs> natural language thing wrong, right? Can you help me with this? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Could you please try a different way? That's it. You're gone. You're dead to me. <laughs> Digital humans uh, suck. So um, so we, we like sales and marketing because it has a much better way of creating a positive atmosphere as the way you kind of introduce to a new experience. It's like the honeymoon of buying a brand new iPhone, right? You're like, Hey, you got to get a new phone. Everything. It's like, Oh, this is a digital human thing. Let's have a look. Oh, this is really great. So you do want to introduce a new channel and a new experience in a far more positive way. The reality is a digital human can help with a lot of customer service and, and, interactions not transactions um but if people have already met the digital human formed a positive connection to the experience and then go into customer service it has a much bigger impact uh, because there's a lot more trust there's a lot more i guess uh, connection with the personality and therefore feel like they're their representative to help them because they've helped them before they'll help them again 
And so that's that's how we work with clients on that. Mm. And then another difficult part, I mean, creating a personality that is reflective of the brand, the tone, the use case, the how the thing looks and stuff like that is all hard enough. But you also have to actually design the thing itself. And everyone has an opinion on everything, don't they? Even if you go back to the days of building websites, you know, everyone has an opinion on what color the button should be or what image should be used here or what language we use and how this should be phrased stick a chatbot in there everyone's got an opinion on what this piece of dialogue should say and how it shouldn't say how it should do shouldn't do when you create a physical thing not only do you enter into the world of opinion because everyone's got opinions on everything but also you're in pretty steep territory of uh either prejudice or ethics because with conversational ai if it's a voice bot really the only decision you need to make is should the voice be male or female and as long as you do some good consideration around that or give an option, you know, do you want male or female to the user, or as long as you consider properly the voice that you're using and why, then fair enough. Whereas you're designing gender, you're designing race, you're designing age, you're designing a whole bunch of different things that have ethical impacts from your client perspective, you know. And so I'm wondering whether you can talk us through how those kind of decisions get made. Is that something that Unique does yourselves? Is this something that you work with a client to define? Do you do a number of different ones so that if I go to the Dodger Telecom website and one minute it might be one type of uh, digital human, they'll go back again the next time it'll be something different. I wonder if you can just talk us through how these sort of decisions are made because it it's a minefield enough with voice AI, but you add all of these other layers on top and you, you've got a whole load more stuff to consider. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I, you know, where we are in the market, I think we're we're fortunate in some senses that uh, it's very early, so it's seen as you know more experimental. You know, as as organisations are looking to learn and and adapt, so they they know they have to make some decisions around this. Um, I feel like in all reality, where this will go is that choice will be given back to the user. So the user will just choose who they want to have as their advocate or representative uh, in any organization, whether that's in the metaverse as a digital human, whether it's online channels, things like that. I don't really subscribe to the whole, I'll make a, <laughs> I'll make some stereotypical assumption on what you want and I'll change it immediately. So I think that's just dangerous territory. Um, th- in all reality, the cool thing is that you can take a knowledge base of helpful information and that can easily be transformed through any different look and style and personality. Uh, and so you can create multiple looks, styles and personalities. The reality is to date, we don't do a lot of that with clients because they're really focusing on what can we do with one and really validate and prove this out. And so we're at, we're at that early stage. Um, I think as we move more into the from early adoption into more mass adoption, I think we will see more considerations for the variety. And it is so easy to create variety. That is the reality. You know this with voice already. Synthetic voices, we could stand up sixteen different within like moments and have that. So mm. we can we can do something similar with digital humans as well. When so do we we really consult our customers decide they know their they know their customers the best, um, and they also understand their brand their brand guidelines and we try work with them around that to really try create something. Um, demographic focus is a, is a good one um, because we, you know we also identify what is the language style. Um, you know, do we address you by your surname or do we have a more casual approach to things and just by your first name? Um, so things like that, I think, you know, play into the audience and what we design for. And then, um, and then when it comes to race and sex, often, you know, surveys are used. Um, you know, there, there's quite a lot of surveying and a lot of information that already exists. I, I would suggest that a lot of that information exists too, because uh, particularly when we deal with marketing departments, they've already been looking at demographics, audiences, they've been testing and they're doing this because they're casting people for advertisements. So they already had to have actors on there. They're already thinking about what are the right actors and representation of our brand. So a lot of this information kind of comes into the the process of, of what we're looking to do. Um, 
But mm-hmm. most people, you know, even under our testing, most people aren't super hung up on, hey, you, you use the wrong nationality for the service, what, what, what's going on? I think in most cases, people are more interested in solving their problems than trying to get you to do everything the way that they need that to look and feel. Um, if it's a friendly personality, at the end of the day, like think about real life. If we come across someone and they're friendly and helpful and just there to help us with what we're doing, we don't tend to say it's a shame that you, you know, you're white. That's a problem. You know, like that's that's not what we do. We tend to go, that's really helpful. How good was that, right? Just be a good human. So I think in time, as it becomes more mass adopted, though, people will start seeing trends and trends will start getting questioned. Why are all the digital humans female, right? Would be a, a, a trend that might come through. And so, you know, and then those types of things, I think, are great conversations. They're really good things to be thinking about and talking about and, and certainly solvable. Mm. Yeah, the voice assistants went through that. You know, why are all the voice assistants, why do they all have a female voice kind of thing? Um, and then, which is weird because Apple, I think, is male in America, female in the UK. Uh, I think you can change it now. Like, and then Google yeah. had like coloured no, coloured voices, as in like blue, yellow, green, to try and separate itself from the gender and stuff. Um, but it's interesting because as soon as you actually put a physical person there, it's so much more to consider. Ideal, ideally, the end result is that any time you call a company, it just randomly selects a voice. And every time you, you log onto the website and there's a digital human there, it just randomly generates one or at least one of the 10 or 20 that you have kind of thing. And then all of that decision-making is taken out of it. Mm. Um, but it's just it's just kind of getting to that point, I suppose. And not, not every client's going to have the budget for you to create 10 different variations of, yeah. <laughs> of digital humans. Well, it's actually getting much cheaper to do it as well. So it is very possible on that side. And fun, we, we had one uh, customer, we did a gender-neutral digital human. Uh, so and it was really well put together and everything. But in, the, in all reality, I mean, I've seen this even where people try to create a chatbot that's just called bot, but people still create a gender attachment to it. And the same thing happened with the gender neutral. Thus, everyone started saying she. And it didn't, didn't really matter how much effort we put in. Like, I think you're going to have challenges where you can't always control how people are receiving things so it's better to go with choice than than any other strategy mm. if, if that's going to be yeah. a, a problem to solve yeah and then you mentioned that you're not going to you're not going to please everybody kind of thing and you kind of touched on this a little bit around the, some people's negative kind of reactions to it like what typically is the negative reactions to to digital humans that you've noticed well there's probably just two areas that i've observed uh, and the first one is very valid, which is uh, the polarizing effect. Um, and that is just, you know, for me and probably a lot of people that are similar like where they might have, they've been brought up around technology. They like technology. They've been gaming. They love movies. They like sci-fi. Like this is just easy technology, right? It fits right in that kind of, this is cool. I really like it. It's helpful. And I just, it's so amazing how good it feels to talk to like new things and change. It doesn't bother my persona that much. And so you'll get probably up to about 52%, and then that's not all just one persona, but about 52% of people are like in a very good category where this this is preferred over other things. And then you start splitting into next two categories, which is like this is – I'm a little bit unsure and I'm willing to try, but this is not exciting to me now. This is just does this help me and am I – am I really going to be interested in using this again and again and, and get to know that? And we're really successful with that group as well, because if you're an uncanny Valley, you'd turn that group off. You'd lose them because mm. it's just a little too weird and a little bit unhelpful. But once you design your natural language, uh, understanding to be supportive and helpful, there's a personality and it feels natural to interact. You, you win that group over. And the last group is just very freaked out by digital human right like it's it's kind of like i i don't understand why i would talk to something that feels so human that's not um and that's totally okay as well 
it's actually, I think, um, I thought it would be more. Going into this business, I thought there'd be more than what there would be in this. Mm-hmm. So I was so surprised with how uh, interested and how many people are wanting to adopt this and how many people were excited. So that last group, I think, is something that will always exist and it's normal to exist because this is not a, a normal. I'm sure many technologies in past have always had a group that didn't even think like, why would I want a phone with me all the time? That's just ridiculous. That's just creepy. Then people will know <laughs> where I am and call me, you know, like these are the types of things that evolve through, through history and, and become a new norm and, and get more accepted. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so that's, that's how that works. So the second part is uh, a little bit, um, a little bit more. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit more demographic, kind of focused as well so you know if i feel really comfortable with something why do i need to talk to someone it tends to be in there um and and how they interact with digital humans is very different so a good example is uh so uh even so if you look at gen z uh so familiar with using technology but very command oriented so they actually command and talk to a digital human and more command focus. So as if you're talking to Siri, Alexa, things like that, it tends mm. to be, I know what I'm doing. I'm really comfortable with this. This is cool. Really comfortable. Just do what I need to do, those kind of things. things like that. Whereas as I gave the example before, older demographics, uh, so 65 years and older, this is, I never saw this technology becoming popular in that demographic originally. But this is actually a technology I think that, it really bridges the gap between the scary experience of digital and all these self-service tools that are um, not really, they're not very personal. They are changing frequently, all these types of things. And we can create something that just feels like having a chat with someone that you can actually get things done and you can do it yourself online and not have to wait and on the line or anything like that. And I think in that kind of language, you see a very different uh, way of seeing the technology. It's, it's to have a conversation. The hard thing with that is you've got to design the natural language understanding to have a conversation. And so it mm. gets a little bit more tricky at that end. And if you don't get that right, then yes, we see rejection of the technology there. Same in the lower. So the earlier Gen Z, uh, Gen Z um, if you don't get command-based, just make it snappy and quick and it's talking too much and things like that, you'll get disengagement there. So you really got to think about the demographics and how you're designing. But I don't think that's too dissimilar to um, what you're doing in, in voice. Mm, interesting. Bless the old folks. They always get a bad rap, don't they? The, the old, uh, you know, the grey feathers always get a bit of a bad rap for <laughs> adopting technology, but they actually do. They give it a go, man. You know, like Alexa has been fantastic for a load of yeah. old, older people and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so you touched on something there, which is quite interesting, which is around how is there potential for the expectations around what digital humans are capable of to be raised when you put a digital human there. For example, if you call a call centre, people have been used to those terrible, clunky voice systems for a while. If you're calling about credit, say credit. You know, or if uh, the chatbots that are just push buttons, you know, mm. push one, two, three. Um, so people have been used to primitive voice and chat technologies. But then when you have a natural language one, which is, you know, a little bit more, allows you to speak in a bit more verbose manner and stuff like that. Uh, the expectations rise, but not tremendously, really. So if you're talking about Alexa, when you talk to Alexa and Google Assistant, you've got an expectation that it understands you, but I think now there's an expectation that, or an understanding that it's not going to help with everything. There's certain things it does, certain things it doesn't. Whereas you put a human in front of that, that looks so realistic, like a movie character sitting on screen, I would imagine, I don't know if this is the case now, I would imagine that expectations get raised quite substantially, which puts a lot more pressure on the the conversation design in the NLP. I wonder if you can, if that's what you, is that, is that what you've noticed or is it, can you just put a digital human in front of a, a voice bot and it's all rosy? No, you can't put it in front of a voice bot and it's all rosy. Although, so you, you, you have to take the good with the bad. Right. So the good is that a lot of companies actually struggle to get the adoption on some of their chatbots and their, their their automation technology because it's 
so closely connected to the past of the horrific systems that we've all had to navigate. And so there's little trust and there's not a lot of, I guess, ways that you can convince people uh, unless they just try it one day and then they realize it's, it's better. And I think the, the key to digital humans being successful is the improvements around the way that we understand what natural language can do well, what it can't do well, the way that we design it. And obviously there's some technology and advancements as well that have made this a lot better. So all these kind of experiences could be better, but you still got this low engagement because people have been burned in the past. So putting a digital human on top, the good news is you'll create all this new uh, traffic to use your new experience because uh, people do believe that this is now more advanced it will be a better experience uh, and away they go uh, if you don't make it a better experience then the expectations are that it was and uh, and we will hurt the reputation of digital humans being the savior of natural language but um but the reality is you know when we design with our customers we understand that so we really think about how are we designing the use case being as specific as possible and really guiding someone through as much as possible as opposed to tell me your problem anything let's go and you know you're going to disappoint them so so i think that's that's key i think um yeah the, the other thing is that there is a little bit more I think I would say grace or understanding um, that does sometimes come. So a digital human can do this and go, I'm so sorry. I still don't understand. I'm trying. If I don't get this one, I am going to connect you to someone, but could you try just one more way, right? So you can do something like that with facial expressions and everything, and it's fascinating in some of our more um, intense studies that we've done to try and understand whether do people have more empathy for digital humans than chatbots? Miles more empathy, miles more. So you actually can get more forgiveness if you design it. If you keep saying the same thing over and over again, you remind them that they're annoying bot that isn't being programmed well. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't understand. Please say again. I'm sorry, please don't you know say again. It's, this, it's so painful and bad when we see these experiences. So um, I started talking to the team about I want to be able to turn off digital humans when people don't design them well because they're, hurt, yeah. they're hurting the ability to actually generate much better throughput and self-service channels if we design them well. Um, and it's a great opportunity to use digital humans to do that. I think the metaverse will be another way that that will be introduced again, um, which will be good. Mm. Interesting. It sounds as though... And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my, the way I took that last statement there was that you've already built the ability to create digital humans. They look fantastic. You've mentioned that you've already got layers of software that do the animations and, and facial expressions and all that kind of stuff. So it sounds as though actually the hardest part or the bit that takes most of the work, not the most important part, I wouldn't say, because I think they both go hand in hand, but the more complex part from a day-to-day -day project perspective sounds like a lot of the hard work's already been done on the the digital human side would it be fair to say then that the, the 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 more complex part for you now that you've already got the digital human engine set up the more complex part of these things is actually the natural language 100 percent. number one dependency for digital humans to be successful is still natural language in the way that people design and build that like our, our technology is so productized that you can deploy a digital human now on your website within 30 seconds. You can actually have it up running. We've got modals and all these pre-built SDKs. So you can actually have it sitting on top of your e-commerce site, ready to talk about your products, but you still need to design the natural language to be a really good experience around that. And that's where we spend most of our time with clients, really tuning the overall experience. There are some visual elements that are quite fun with digital humans too that you don't necessarily always do so sdks allow you to manipulate the website as you talk so as you're talking to digital human they'll bring right. up a product and they can look at the product and say this is actually what i think would be a really good fit for your skin type you should really consider you know having a look at this for you know the next three months things like that are quite fun as you bring that into 
both the natural language and the orchestration layer that is pulling, you know, various APIs and, and, and data points to, to fill out the conversation. So you really are thinking more like a TV show versus a radio show, right? Like that's, that's what you got to think of. You've got a lot more visual elements you can bring in. It's not just about the people. It's about what's happening around the people, what's happening on the site. Um, and that's how you really start amplifying your, your metrics. That's how you get better conversion. Mm -hmm. That's where you get way better engagement and throughput and completion rates, all those types of things. Mm, interesting. Um, we, as I mentioned before, we spoke to um, LNER, Robert Cunningham, and they trialed it in Newcastle train station. Uh, don't know what they used on what platform they used, um, but as I mentioned, it was more of an avatar kind of thing rather than a digital human. But anyway... The fact that there was a person there talking, their results were very positive. And the only thing that was preventing them from rolling it out widely was the cost. Because, the, I mean, if you think about it, you could have a, a digital human on every platform and on every train station. You could have one on in the concourse, you know, the information stands. Every shop potentially could have one on the train itself could have one so the potential for it's huge help on hand wherever you are um but what robert was saying is that it was cost prohibitive to do that uh not all because of the software because in order to set these up in a train station you need a good internet connection every single square inch of the building uh you need screens that are good enough to have an engaging experience on you need microphone technologies there's a whole bunch of stuff that you need um aside from the actual digital human itself but you kind of alluded earlier on that the actual pricing of digital humans is not incredibly expensive so i'm wondering whether if someone let's say there's someone listening to this now who's debating doing a, a chatbot or they're thinking about voice enabling now call center now they've heard about digital humans they've got a bit of an idea about that how do you think it's i mean don't, don't have to give us any numbers but how how does it kind of stack up from a business case perspective, if you wanted to do a project involving a digital human, like is it 10x of a, a typical kind of voice or chatbot project? Is it double? Like what ballpark ballpark ranges? What what are you kind of looking at? Yeah, well, I think you know maybe just the the, the interesting thing is uh, if I, if I look at the competitive landscape around this right now, you have a lot of digital human companies that uh, or avatar companies uh, i mean it's the same sort of game really i mean they're trying to create an interactive experience with a human-like character the um the, the nature of a lot of them they're trying to deploy uh complex tech into a, a pc server that has to have a gpu with a big screen and they have to solve all these mic problems all these things and so the cost of a kiosk just to do that becomes very like very hard to scale not only just the cost, but managing it you know, over and over again. So we solved this problem about five years ago because we, we started this uh, in, in 2015 when we started our R&D journey. Um, and we recognized that that was never going to work. So a lot of what we do is we render everything in the cloud. So just like you're connecting to a Google Meet or a Zoom call, whatever. So everything can be super lightweight and uh, in, in the hardware side. Uh, so you don't need to spend a lot of money on complex kiosks. You can stand it up, just have like having a video call straight from there. You do need a good internet connection. And then what we did is we recognized actually microphones and noisy environments. So what you can actually do is you can just put a screen with a video and a QR code on it, and people can come up with their own phone, scan the QR code because it's in the cloud, and now they can have a digital human on their phone because who doesn't have a phone and talk to that digital human while they have wayfinding on their phone and moving around. All of a sudden, this changed the game for our retail customers. We have public transport as well, and that there is super cheap. Like We're, we're li literally talking like 20 cents a conversation, if that. Um, you know, so... So now, and that's that includes the digital human, like that is the kind of thing. So, yeah, because we work with enterprise customers, there's some design and there's a lot of implementation thinking and things like that. So, you know, they need to be thinking probably the better part of 100K to 
more depending on how big that project mm. gets but at the end of the day when you look at scale and consumption this really does scale now particularly if you use you know mm. companies like unique who have solved it in this way so mm. and especially if you're applying it for those enterprise use cases for big companies that are dealing with millions of conversations and you if you're demonstrating the ability to convert twice as good as a chatbot as you mentioned earlier yeah. on then you know, whatever it is north of 100k, they'll cost to pay for themselves anyway because there's so much value in being able to deliver so much better service. Totally. It's it's very, very easy to build an ROI model as long as you can do two things. You can either redirect expensive traffic to lower cost channels or you can obviously help with conversion and completion that turns into revenue. And uh, and digital humans, mm. have, you know, have a really good, track record in doing this now so um so yeah i think you know we're probably going to move out of that early adoption as people understand this more i think mass adoption in the next probably five years is, is definitely very realistic with this technology mm, very good and when you say mass adoption there's different ways that you could kind of classify that like for example um it was said that Google Assistant, Amazon Alexa, those devices would be in every home by X date. There's been stats out there, which is like every company will have a chatbot by X. And a Juniper actually put something out a few months back, which was, um, can't remember the exact numbers, but it was a staggering amount of spend on cognitive services forecast by 2023. Um Lots of companies have chatbots. You know, there's this notion of a million or billion assistants, which is every company having their own digital assistant, whether it's chat or voice or whatever it might be. And so this whole market, which I would actually class digital humans as part of because mm -hmm. there's, there's NLP technologies as a core part of it, it's all growing. It's all, you know, forecast to, to continue to grow uh, quite tremendously. For the digital human side in particular, do, has there been any research done on that kind of market forecast? Is it forecast that every company will have a digital human by X date, or it'll be, you know, is it, how would you compare it to the adoption of other things like chat, like mobile, like social, like voice assistants, and all that kind of stuff? Like, what if you can shed a bit of light on what you see as as the future of adoption? Yeah, this this more recently last year to two years, you've seen. Um like Gartner and others now have specific emerging tech reports that are focused on digital humans. I'm trying to remember now, I, I couldn't quote exactly, you know, it's a hundred and something billion in the next X years or something. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot more focus around digital humans now and the key players. And you're seeing big players like Microsoft and others start to get into this Baidu just, um, you know, announce the work they're doing in the space as well in China. So that's starting to happen. Yeah, I, I wouldn't wouldn't say that I've seen anything around you know, in every home or every brand or every enterprise. But I would say in the next five years, you, you're already seeing the evolution of in-home devices with screens. We've seen this across you know Google and, and Alexa already. Those screens, we already know there are conversations taking place around more interactive experiences that are visual. It makes total sense that, you know, Geico are going to have the Geico Gecko or Gordon Ramsay is going to help you design a meal in your home while you're cooking and then it connects into your local supermarket, provide the supplies, just like that. Or over here, it'll probably be Whole Foods actually if it's Alexa. But uh, mm. yeah, that's that's the natural evolution, I think, of natural language and, and what has been designed. The evolution makes sense because, as we've just identified, the key dependency is you need to have a conversational engine that will be able to meet the needs of the use case. And once you've solved for that to a sufficient level, you amplify it with visual experience around it. And uh, we've, we're at that point now where that's really starting to happen. Mm, and your potential market is already laid out for you because all you need to do is just go to the enterprises that have got sophisticated conversational AI setups with good chatbots and decent voice assistants in the in the call center like everyone's doing now and you've got a market there because inevitably once they've got skilled enough and they've took taken their channels to where they can get them to the next step would be adding that visual component and i think that they would also find it easier as well, it might not be the same language model and the exact same conversation as we've discussed, but at least the skills 
to be able to do it, the foundational technology to be able to do it. Uh, so your market is basically laid out in front of you. Yeah, exactly. The, the one, uh, I guess, challenge I would say is that, you know, there's a lot of investment around the customer service contact center side. Still, I think it's always best to bring digital humans and a positive use case. So sales and marketing, and yeah. they are less invested in, in that conversational side. So we are still educating and helping and connecting at this point in time. But um, I think a lot mm. of the no-code solutions, actually, for natural language understanding and designing the conversational flow, a lot of these no-code products, I think, are helping a lot in that uh, particular area. And, and we're obviously plugged into anything. So as long as it's mm. able to be designed as a good conversation, as low latency, then, uh, then it's a good fit. Mm, fantastic. Wicked. That is really good. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining us. Where can people... I put the I Am Sophie uh, link in the show notes and, and whatnot, but what about uh, the unique website? How can people learn more? How can people kind of like, you know, reach out? Like what's the what's the best way for them to yeah, do Yeah, the website, you can actually go to uh, www.digitalhumans.com or www.uneq.com. They'll take you to our website. Lots of information there, lots of ways to connect in with the team uh, and myself. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we always you know love to have conversations with those in the industry or if people are interested in trying out the technology, we can, we can help with that as well. Fantastic. Sounds really good. Well, this has definitely been an education for me. I've really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed the conversation. It's, uh, yeah, it's so much potential, to be honest, for, uh, for this stuff. I can see it see it laid out i can see all kinds of opportunities for it so it's been really good for you to uh spend some time with us appreciate yeah it. thanks Kane. appreciate it as well it's been fun it's been good it's been good and i will say if you are listening on a podcast and you didn't see it go to iamsophie.io um because it is genuinely fantastic um the graphics are unbelievable uh, i was playing around with it yesterday on the natural language side it's, it's really impressive um and it will give you a good kind of taster for what this digital human experience can be like so do that and uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure tomorrow we have ai sira on the podcast we'll be talking uh all kinds of stuff around conversational ai in the enterprise and uh yeah look forward to seeing you all all there once again danny's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you